Good morning, good morning, Your Place Church. Happy you guys are here today. It is a beautiful Palm Sunday today. And uh, we are in part two of our Easter story uh, that we're going to be celebrating. Before I get into this, just wanted to acknowledge everybody who was watching online today. Uh, we had some technical difficulties right up front, but we got them figured out. So glad you guys are here with us and uh, excited about what the Lord's doing in our services. Amen, everyone. Amen. Hey, listen, I was going to talk to you guys about the GOAT challenges. I'm curious how they're going with you guys. You know, uh, I typically, you know, you would think as the pastor I'd be the first one to know things, but it seems like I'm always like third or last to find out about things. So, listen, tell me how your GOAT challenges are going. If you remember week one, what we wanted everybody to do is we wanted to take Friday that week, everybody wear a Your Place Church shirt, and do something nice, you know what I mean? Carry someone's groceries to the car, or, you know, something that was just, you know, hospitable. Week two, which was last week, we wanted everybody to just grab one of those invite cards, which we stuck them out on the, on the chairs again today, so you can grab an invite card again. But last week, we wanted everybody to go and buy someone's dinner and just hand them an invite to Easter services next week. Could be someone at the drive-thru. That's the easiest, most non-confrontational way, right? You show up at the drive-thru, hey, how much is their bill? $87. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know, pay the, pay the bill, hand them a card. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they were buying the office lunch that day. Who knows? Uh, but, but, you know, hand them the card and say, hey, listen, give them this and tell them that their meal was complimentary or something like that. Or, you know, someone at the restaurant. And again, the idea was not another your place church person. Now, you can continue to do those go challenges the entire month because I just think it's fun. But what we're asking everybody to do this week on the week right before Easter is we're asking everybody just start a conversation about Jesus with somebody. And again, not, not your spouse, not someone else that comes to your place church. Those are easy conversations. But just start a conversation. And then here's the thing. Start another conversation this week. And I mean, come on, it would be great if we could have three conversations about Jesus from every single person who worships at your place church this week. And the reason why that is a big deal is because it seems like more and more people are talking less and less about him. Are you with me, friends? And so I don't want that to be the story of the people of your place church. I would actually like us to talk more and more about him and less and less about us. Does that make sense, friends? So that's the go challenge this week. Start a conversation, and it doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation. Like, just, just sow some seed. This last week, we had a plumbers out at, 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 out at the house, and, uh, and it was one of those things that we were kind of talking about schedules and stuff like that, and he asked me about Sunday, and I mean, he teed it up. He teed it up for me, you know what I mean? I was like, well, I kind of got this gig I do on the weekends, right? I kind of got this gig I do on Sundays. And he's like, he looks at me and he says, are you, are you a preacher? I mean, door wide open, right? Wide open for a conversation about Jesus. And again, I know you don't have the luxury of, of saying you're a preacher, but you can use the line, I got this gig I do on Sunday morning, right? You can use that line. And uh, when they ask what it is, you can tell them, well, listen, man, I go to a rocking awesome church in Mays County. Or, you know what, I'm in love with Jesus. The idea is that the conversation is more about Jesus than it is about church. Listen, Christmas and Easter, people are already stirred up about Jesus. They're already thinking about Jesus. Um, this is the one time of year that, that people just by nature are already open to a conversation. Let's maximize the moment. Can I have an amen, everyone? Amen. And then I wanted to let everybody know, we told you this last week, this next week on, on Easter Sunday, so next week is Easter, we are starting at 8.30 for all those involved in the Dream Team and really anybody who wants to come. We're calling it a Dream Team huddle, like one big huddle. And it's going to happen in this room at 8.30. And really, 
next, it's not just for next week. It is for, I mean, we're going to just keep doing this. We just want to get everybody together before services start. Um, and the fastest way to tell you about it is just to take a couple of seconds right here at the beginning of a message and just share it. Um, 8.30 to 8.50, we're going to have kind of a vision moment right here. Um, before the service, we're going to pray for the service. We're going to pray for the kids' ministry. We're going to pray for everybody serving on the dream team. And then at 8.50, everybody's going to break up to their individual department, and they're going to have a little pre, pre-service huddle there. The goal is, is that we're all ready to go by 9 a.m. to welcome people. Amen? Now, we are expecting people next week. Amen? Amen. We are expect It's Easter. There are people who come to your place, church, that we see them Christmas and we see them Easter. Amen. And that's all right. We're just happy they're in the building. So we're all going to be on our best behaviors next week. Amen. You're not going to blow your horn on the way to, hey, buddy, get off the road. You know, like, let's be hospitable next week. If you guys are both looking for a parking spot, give them the parking spots right? Let's be friendly next week because we really have some really high expectations that all of these invite cards have, have found the people that Jesus wants them to find. Amen, everyone? And that all of these people, even this week, as you're passing some of these out, as you're having conversations about Jesus this week, we really believe that the Holy Spirit is already working in the hearts of people, and we're excited about that. Amen. This is week two of our Easter story. Uh, These are the days coming up to um, the cross and what Jesus encountered there and what he did for us. And then uh, next week, obviously, we'll we'll be talking a little bit more specific about the cross and about everything that happened in that moment and more specifically resurrection. Because how many of you guys know Jesus is not on the cross anymore? Amen. 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 He's not on the cross anymore. Um, And then uh, the following week, we're actually going to talk about the 40 days after Jesus rose again. And if you're not familiar with that part of the story, hang on, because it is really, really, really good. And, you know, I get questions a lot from people who have some experience with church. Um, Again, we believe, you know, there's a lot of people in Mays County who have either, um, for whatever reason, um, stopped worshiping. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole generation who's never been a part of church. Even in Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible belt, uh, they've never been a part of church. They've never, they've never had a relationship with Jesus. And I think for you and I, it's really easy to allow um, where we live and kind of the context of our lives to assume that people know who Bible characters are, uh, to, to assume people understand the story. Listen, You can talk about David and Goliath to some people out there, and they have no idea who you're talking about. And we can't assume that people understand the story about Jesus. I I know for us, we've had people who who worship at your place church, and um, they've asked some pretty great questions in the past. Like one question we've gotten uh, several times, not a lot, but, but how come there's not any crosses at your place church? Like, you know, a cross out on the building or, you know, crosses, you know, anywhere in, in the church. It's, it's a great question. And for the most part, when we started the church 13 years ago, we were just doing our best to make a comfortable environment for people. I mean, we, were, we, were, we set up church in a warehouse. Uh, we had rented metal folding chairs. We had a borrowed sound system. We had curtains draped from the ceiling just trying to make it not look like a warehouse. And I don't know if we just, just didn't focus much on decor back then. I think there was no real reason uh, or why behind the what of why we never put a cross up. I'm not saying we never will, but for us, we just wanted to make a comfortable environment where people could come and worship Jesus. Amen, everyone? We wanted to focus on Jesus, and I'm not saying that we won't have one in the future because I've seen some pretty cool designs, Um, uh, and you're like, cool design, don't make the cross something it's not. We're not going to. We're not going to. When you look at a cross, you do think about Jesus. Amen, everyone? Another great question that people ask is, "How how come you don't do altar calls at the end of every service? And again, great question, but really one only a person who's been around church would ask, if you think about it. And honestly, the answer to that question is simply this. I I just pretty much allow the Holy Spirit to 
to impress upon me when he thinks it's time for us to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. If you think about an altar call in general, you don't see anywhere in Scripture where, you know, Paul stops and says, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. I'm going to... You don't even see Jesus do that. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, there have been several Sundays, for instance, two weeks ago, for those of you who were here, um, it wasn't necessarily in my notes to have an altar call, but we got to that point of the service where I felt... I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but down on the inside of my heart, the Holy Spirit just kind of rung a little bell and said, today's the day. There are people in this room that I've been working on that are ready for a relationship with, with Jesus. And so we took a few minutes and we invited people into a relationship with Jesus. In fact, in the last two weeks, there have probably been close to 40 people who have said yes to Jesus Christ. Amen, everyone. <clears throat> But again, those are all great questions, and typically they're questions who people who are familiar with church would ask. And we've realized that over the last 13 years, we're reaching people who aren't, some of them, very familiar with church. And so we've had to kind of pause a little bit and kind of tell the backstory in a lot of these uh, topics that we've addressed in the last 13 years, which, by the way, friends, today is April the 10th. We started Your Place Church on April the 12th, 2009. Amen, everyone. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Another great question is, is how come we don't take communion as a church? Again, another great question, and one that only people who grew up in church or are familiar with church would ask. The short answer is we actually have received communion several times as a church. But the, I think what people are looking for is they're wanting some sort of a rhythm. I, know, I don't know what church that you may be familiar with, but there were some churches that I've been familiar with that it seemed like it was just every first Sunday. Every first Sunday, that, you know, whether the pastor taught about it or not, we would receive communion as a church. And again, I understand the understanding behind that or the, the direction behind that, but for me, I didn't want some of the things that we did as your place church to, beco to become... Um, ritualistic, if you will. I didn't want them to lose their power. I didn't want it to become mundane or just, oh, it's first Sunday of the month, must be taking communion. You know, we've all been a part of those services where it's almost like the communion portion of the service was almost an afterthought. Um, you know, we got all the way through the, the, the service and then, oh, oh yeah, today's communion Sunday. I didn't want your place church to feel that way. And so what we've done is we've just kind of selected certain times of the year where we felt, again, under the direction of the Holy Spirit that we should do communion. It's the same with baptisms. We, we, we do baptisms two or three times a year. Uh, child dedication. Um, we, we do that you know, once or twice a year. And so um, it's one of those things that for us, we want them to have meaning. We want them to have depth. But I actually want to, I want to talk about the Lord's Supper today. And I want to see what the scripture says about it. And I want to talk about the days leading up to it and what happens right after uh, the Lord's Supper today, if that's okay with you guys. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful... Lord, that, that what you encourage us to do in Scripture doesn't ever lose its depth, its weight, its power. Father, we thank you that as we look through, for some of us, a very familiar portion of Scripture, Father, for others of us, it may be the first time that we've ever read this. Lord, I pray that you can reach every single one of us. Lord, that we can... We can allow ourselves to see the backstory and what's leading up to these moments. And Father, that these, these portions of Scripture never lose their power to us. Father, we pause right here on Easter week and we pause to recognize everything that Jesus paid for, for our lives and for our eternity. 
And Lord, I thank you that you lead us and you direct us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, the series opened up with us talking about um, the month of Nisi or Nisan or Nisan, depending on how you want to say it, not like the car, the month, uh, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar. And this is the month that um, basically begins to break down Holy Week. In fact, if you're reading from the King James Version, a few people still reading from the King James Version. I still read from the King James Version. Uh, but there's a lot of people who have found other different translations, and that's great. But if you follow along in the King James Version, especially on Version, the Bible app, on Mark 11, it actually breaks down Monday, Tuesday, or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, of, of what is known as the Holy Week. And on week one, we talked about Nisi 10, or Nisan 10, which is Palm Sunday, which is today, and how everybody had to pick out a Passover lamb. This is found in Exodus. We went into great detail, and, and Tyra did a great job on last Wednesday talking about the, the significance of what, what Moses and Passover and that whole, that whole story has with us and with Jesus and how it applies to us today. But everybody was supposed to pick out a Passover lamb, one per household that they would sacrifice during the Passover celebration. Well, on, on Nisi 10, Jesus came riding on the foal of a donkey and presented himself to everybody as the Passover lamb, a sacrifice that would be offered once and for all, for all mankind. Jesus at the cross is going to do away with the need for sacrificial lambs, for for animal sacrifices, which was an Old Testament um, part of the law. Jesus is the plan of redemption. Well, on Nisi 11, which was Monday, Jesus curses the fig tree. He walks into the temple, chases out the money changers, um, says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. You guys are familiar with that? That happened on Monday, right before he went to the cross. You can imagine the emotions, probably. Jesus was human. Make no mistake about it. He was God in human form, right? And so he has emotions. And so he knows what the next few hours looks like. And so when he walks into the temple and sees people profiting on the people's worship, it stirred him up. So he walked in and he flipped tables and he was like, my father's house is going to be a house of, or is a house of prayer, on Nisi 12, which was Tuesday, we see the whole withered fig tree conversation. And Jesus teaches his disciples about faith. I don't have time to go into all of these because there are key days and key moments in history that we need to get to. One of which happens on Wednesday, Nisan 13. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that the Passover is two days away. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus is having conversations with his disciples about what's about to happen. Jesus knows what the next few hours. And again, some of the disciples, this was like, what is he even talking about? They had no clue what the next few days held. They just kept hearing Jesus refer to the fact that he is the Passover lamb. He's given his life as a ransom for all. Verse 3, this is where the plot thickens a little bit in the story. Then the, G, the, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in, a, in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Now what the chief priests did not know is Jesus, and we talked about this last week, could not die. He could not be murdered. He could not be killed. Because Jesus had an assignment on his life. He had one purpose and one purpose only, to lay his life down for all mankind. And then we asked the question last week, what, what's your purpose in life? 
What's your assignment? What is the thing that God has called all of us to do? And we just kind of left it there. I'm curious what you found out last week. Moving right along. Verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany, this is still Wednesday, at the house of uh, Simon the leper. How would you like that known, to be known for all eternity as Simon the leper, right? Simon, you, identifying with kind of the thing that Jesus healed him from. You know, he could have been Simon the guy healed of leprosy. Like that would have been a great title, right? But the Bible refers to him as Simon the leper. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask, one translation says jar, a very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So you've got to imagine the scene. Jesus is at the table with his fellas. They're having a meal. Uh, this woman comes up, has this very expensive jar of perfume or cologne, whatever you want to call it. Back then, there wasn't different like this is man's fragrance. This is a woman's fragrance. It was just fragrant, okay? And she comes up, doesn't ask his permission, walks in, breaks it open, and pours it over his head. Right? So, again, don't just read through Scripture for the sake of reading through Scripture. Imagine you're watching a movie. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Just put a score in the background. As the woman walks up, breaks this jar open, and, and pours this oil over his head. Verse 8 says, but when his disciples, now these are the guys who's been doing life with him, right? When they saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? In other words, it had nothing to do with this woman just pouring this oil over Jesus. They were more interested because they knew how much that stuff cost. And they're like, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, aware of what? Of what they were talking about, of how they were feeling, about the emotions in the room, right? He said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a good job for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Again, Jesus is trying to help his disciples know, listen, there's going to be a lot more things more important than what just happened in this room. She's preparing me for my burial. And again, if you understand embalming and things that happened back in, in, in well, today and really back in those days, they would wrap wrap them in certain embalming cloths and they would put fragrant oil over them. Jesus is pointing to the fact that, listen, it is fixing to get real up in here. And let me pause right here under somewhat of a direction of the Holy Spirit and say, friends, it's fixing to get real up in here in the next few days as people come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we get ready to go see Him, as He comes back, like nobody knows when, we just know we're one day closer than we've ever been. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever uh, this gospel is preached to in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's true. We're talking about it today. We're talking about what she did today. So, side thought, what legacy are we going to be known for? What legacy are you and I going to be known for? Like, I'm not saying they're going to, you know, they're going to rewrite the Bible and put your story in there. But I am saying your kids are going to have a story about you. Your co-workers are going to have a story about you. Your friends, your family, your neighbor. There was this guy that lived next door to me. He loved Jesus. What legacy are we going to be known for for generations to come? 
So we keep on reading in verse 14. This is still Wednesday. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests. So something happened. This whole woman, the, the jar, the oil, the fragrance, the, the, the whole Jesus calling them out. Something happened to provoke Judas Iscariot. And he goes to the chief priests and he simply starts with a question. And that question is, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Jesus hasn't, or Judas hasn't made up his mind yet whether or not he's going to do it. And so I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, what are we flirting with out there? What questions are we asking that will lead us to wrong decisions if we continue down those roads? At this point, Judas didn't even necessarily have intentions on doing it. He's asking a question. What, 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 so what would you do? What would you give if, you know, say someone, hypothetically, was to hand him over to you. Look what the Bible says. They counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, and he took it. So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. What was it that pushed him over the edge? What was it that caused somebody that spent every single day of his life in the presence of Jesus? He saw the miracles. He watched people get healed. He watched thousands upon thousands of people follow Jesus. He had intimate conversations with the master. What was it that pushed him over? What brings any of us to this moment of betrayal? For, for Judas, I really believe it was greed. It was offense. It was pride. And it was bitterness. Even one of the disciples who spent three years of his life with Jesus was moved because of, well, greed offense. Listen, this is why a few weeks ago when we talked about faith works by love and we, ha we created a moment where people could kind of deal with some of their stuff. I, I heard just another story just last week. Someone came in and they were like, listen, the Lord is just, you know, that day when you talked about letting things go, I let some things go. I was talking about uh, some stuff going on with, with, with her work. There's been people who came in and said, you know what, when you said I had, you know, someone in the room, it was second service, it was very specific, someone in the room had a fence towards an organization. I think there's probably been six or seven people who's come up to me in the last few weeks that said, listen, that was me, you were talking to me. I had this offense to this organization. And every single one of them since then is walking in a new light. Things are happening. Here's Judas, greed, offense, Pride, bitterness. How many times did Jesus call him out because he was greedy with money? Well, we see in Scripture several times. Even at this event at Simon's house. You know, Simon the leper. Right? This, this woman breaks this jar open. You know Judas was behind that. Can you believe? That stuff costs a bunch of money. Right? Greed. And maybe, I don't know, this, this all happened on the 13th of Nisi. Maybe this is why 13 is an unlucky number. I don't know. Have you thought about it? Like, even elevators don't have a 13th floor. You, you, I'm, I'm going to go 11, 12, 14. Like, you, you can't even, some elevators, they don't, they don't have, you know there's a 13th floor if they've got, like, 20 floors, but the elevator won't, take you to the 13th floor. They call the 13th floor number 14. Or they call it 12B. <laughs> Why? Why? Well, I did some research. It has nothing to do with today's message. All right? I was just curious. A lot of people say it's because of superstition that the number 13 is unlucky, and it goes right up there with black cats and walking under a ladder. It turns out it is the reason why. Think what you want about superstition, but people responding to a Gallup poll said that they would be bothered by being assigned a room on the 13th floor for no other reason than it's unlucky. Whatever 
Whatever the reason 13 became unlucky, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. But it is interesting that this was the 13th day of the month that Judas is having this conversation. Moving right along, all right? Nisan 14, which is Thursday, uh, Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover, right? Passover's tomorrow. He replied, go to the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Well, how did he even know that was going to be possible? Jesus didn't set this up. I don't have time to teach on this, but the Bible talks about how Jesus had all the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit without limitations. Jesus knew this man existed, and he knew that this is the way it was going to go down. Verse 19, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Nisan 14, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, One of you will betray me. Can you imagine all the air being sucked out of the room in that moment? Like they're just having a great time, conversations, they're cracking jokes, they're laughing. Jesus is there. And again, Jesus knows what's about to happen. And so he takes this moment to say to his fellas, oh, by the way, one of you will betray me. And I can imagine Judas in this moment going, oh no, he knows. He knows. He knows, right? Verse 22, they were very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. I think that question was a loaded question. I think one thing they were, they were realizing is, no, no, we've spent our entire you know, last three years following you. Surely you don't mean us. But I think there is that thing inside of us as humans that we don't even trust ourselves sometimes. Where we're like, yeah, it's not going to be me, right? Right, Lord? It's not going to be me. Surely, surely it's not going to be me. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. In other words, it's one of you guys. We used the same bowl. It's, it's one of you. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. In other words, no one can change that, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. And I don't know if Jesus is calling him out right here or not, or if Jesus in his grace and his mercy is giving him a chance to repent because he'll do that for all of us. Yeah. And he goes on to say, it would be better for him that he had not even been born. Jesus knows the magnitude of this moment. Woe to that man. And again, the whole time, Judas is going, oh, what the heck, right? Verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi, which means teacher. In other words, he's got to be asking the question, does he know? Does he know I had a conversation with the chief priests? Does he know that right here in my backpack is 30 pieces of silver? Does he know? Surely, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you've said so, which means you know it's you. You know it's you. Can you imagine how awkward that moment must have been? Like, here's, here's all of his guys. They're all looking at each other. Is, is it you? Is it me? Is it you? Is it me? In fact, John's gospel, which I told you, there are things recorded in the gospel of John that aren't in some of the other gospels. Now, he records some of the same things. They call it the harmony of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John sees things that none of the other disciples saw that none of the other writers of the Gospels were a part of. You, John has firsthand glimpses at things because he was present. In fact, the same story in John chapter 13, you guys okay? Yeah. Giving you a little biblical history today. 
Some of you guys, well, I, I heard this story. Don't assume you know everything about the story and close yourself off to what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you today. Amen, everyone. John 13, verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Same, same story, same scene. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, <laughs> you know who he's referring to, right? He's referring to himself. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, me, right, John, right? He said this, um, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and, at, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered John's question. It's the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, the son of, the, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan, look at this, entered into him. How come Matthew's gospel didn't record that? Because John is sitting right next to Jesus and watching the whole thing go down. And I don't know what he saw, but he saw, according to Scripture, Satan enter the guy. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. John was close enough to remember the encounter, wrote it down for you and I to read. Since Judas, oh wait, uh, verse 20. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him, verse 28. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. The other disciples are clueless. John saw it all go down. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. John's gospel is the only one that recognized that Judas got up and left the table before the Lord's Supper. Judas did not take communion with the others that day. John saw the whole thing go down. So you can imagine after this very intense and awkward scene, Jesus then turns back to his disciples. Now we're back in Matthew 26 and he says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. So he's about to share this moment with his disciples. And his disciples may or may not have known what was going to happen. But one thing that you did know as a part of your Jewish upbringing is you knew the power of covenant. And you knew what the covenant um, actions were. There was always blood present during a covenant. There was always this sacrifice that happened during the making of a covenant. And there was always this ceremonial meal that was shared. So when Jesus said, fellas, this is my body. That is, one translation says, that is broken for you and he starts to pass this bread around the table we know because we have the privilege of having the entire holy written scriptures on our phones or in a book that we carry around we know that what he was referring to was a prophecy coming to pass that was written 700 years before this very meal Isaiah chapter 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah was looking ahead to a time when Jesus' body would be broken for all of mankind for two reasons. Number one, that they could have eternity and be set free from sin. And number two, so they could be healed. The stripes on the, on the back of Jesus that Isaiah is referring to was a foreshadow of Jesus being scourged at the cross. 
and the, and the stripes from the whips on his back. Thirteen lashes the Bible talked about. Isaiah was looking ahead, but if you'll read the exact same account from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, who his own self bore our sins, uh, bore, his, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Now look what he says. By whose stripes we were healed. In other words... Healing was paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ for you. Isaiah is looking ahead to the moment when it's going to happen. Peter's looking back at the moment where it happened. Isaiah is saying, it's going to come a day. Peter said, it happens. And if you'll notice, every single person who came to Jesus for healing left healed. He is the same yesterday today and forever. Did you know you could get healed by just receiving communion today? You absolutely can. When you take that bread, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This bread represents my broken body. We had a, a lady come in last week. She caught me as she was walking into church and she says, pastor, I need to tell you a story. I'm like, I'm always good for stories. And she says, there was a weekend, it's been several weeks ago, she had recently had cataract surgery, and uh, she could see clearly, could, you know, everything was fine with it, but, but it had been several months since she had that procedure done, and she woke up, and for a few days, she was seeing cloud, it was just like seeing cloudy through her eyes. It was like everywhere she went, there was like a, a fog, a mist, or a cloud, right? She came into church that weekend, she didn't even, she didn't ask us, she didn't do anything, she just came in that weekend and she says, when I come to church today, when I leave, I'm going to see clearly. That's it. When I, I'm coming to church today, when I leave this service, I will be able to see clearly. She says she sat through service and there was a point in the service that the cloud just disappeared. Come on, amen, everyone. It just, it, and she said she could see clearly. And she said, she was telling me this last week, she says, and it's been clear every day since. Amen. Amen. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. By his stripes, you were healed. Let's get to this. Verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when they had given thanks, he broke and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Again, the disciples knew something was up. But they didn't know quite what was up. Verse 27, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. First time they'd ever heard this. Jesus is saying in this moment, the covenant that you guys have been a part of since the days of Moses are changing in this moment. When you drink this blood, this wine, it represents the blood of the new covenant. Now they knew he is doing the covenant ritual. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be blood. And this is the meal. Drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Listen, friends, communion is a covenant meal. This is why I just don't want to do this haphazardly. I want you to understand what's going on as we receive communion. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and have the ushers. I think we've got some buckets full of the communion elements. You guys, you guys would just pass those out. Guys, just take it. Hang on to it. We're going to receive communion. Here in just a couple of minutes, I know it's, it's long. I, preacher's going long. Preacher gets excited about this, all right? Verse 29, Jesus finishes the story by saying, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it again with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We're going to receive communion today as a church family. And uh, they're just going to pass buckets down. Um, it has been a while since we've done this on the weekend. We've done this on last Wednesdays. And so if uh, last Wednesdays are not a part of your normal, yeah, you guys can just take the bucket and pass it down. 
if you're not, if last Wednesdays aren't a part of your normal um, um, calendar of events, then you may have missed this. Maybe this is the first time you've ever received communion with us. So Jesus is looking ahead to this meal. The writer of 1 Corinthians, which was Paul, is looking back. In chapter 11, verse 23, he says, I received from the Lord what is I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was creating the new covenant that you and I live under today. The Bible talks about the new covenant or the new testament as a better than the last, the old covenant, because it's built upon better promises. What are those better promises? Number one, we're not sacrificing an an animal on stage today. Aren't you thankful? Amen. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus became the sacrifice for you. And the blood of animals, the Bible talks about the blood of goats and lambs, back in the Old Testament, just covered our sins. I don't have time to get into this today, but I so wished I did. Come to Bible school. We'll get you the whole story. Amen. Sign up. It's out there. We'll get you the whole story. Amen. You're like, well, just do a series on it. I'm trying. All right, moving right along. Jesus' blood didn't cover our sins. Jesus' blood washed us free from sin. Amen? And here's the thing about Jesus' blood. When you're washed in the blood, that blood stands. Every sin that you ever committed is washed away by the blood of Jesus. Every sin you will ever commit is washed away with the blood of Jesus Christ. Preachers don't like to talk about this part of it because we're like, well, we don't want our people to sin. When you understand the power of forgiveness and you understand the price that Jesus paid, you lose your desire to sin. If the desire to sin is still there, you don't understand the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, friends? You don't understand the power of this meal. It's okay. Keep coming to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep experiencing the presence of Jesus because you will. You will. Amen. Will you stand with us? I'm going to tell you right now, offering today is going to be short. I've got people coming in in the next few minutes who want to do this same thing. But I don't want to rush this moment for you. Amen? I need communion. Thank you. If you want to, this is, um, this is kind of a two-part deal. The clear part, if you'll open the top, the clear part, not the purple part. The clear part opens the bread. If everybody will just take the bread out for just a second, I want to walk you through this moment. Some of you are like, where's the golden trays and the vessel and the... This is the way we do it. It's very sanitary. Hold the, the wafer in your hand for just a second. When Jesus took... You guys, you keep playing. Yeah, I like that. Keep playing. Oh, it says, I broke a pick. I broke a pick. I like that. It's nice. Jesus took the bread. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. It's the same today. It's the same today. And what we like to do is before we, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive communion. Let me just stop and say this right here. You don't have to be a member of your place church to receive communion. Bible says you just need to like just know what you're doing know what you're doing in fact 
Verse 28 says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. In other words, this is not something you want to take lightly. Which is another reason why we just don't make it ritualistic. We want it to be a moment. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a, and a number of you have fallen asleep. He's not talking about taking a nap. Because people fail to discern the Lord's body. They just treat this like, oh, it's just something we do. Recognize the moment, friends. This is my body which was broken for you. Take and eat. So Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the broken body of Jesus. And right now, we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Break and eat. Some of you, if you need healing in your body, just receive it right now. Just receive your healing right now. Grab the next tab and open it up. Be careful because I want you to have to spill it by accident. The Bible goes on to say, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we're so thankful. For the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for the forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. Lord, as we do this, we remember the significance of the covenant that we live in right now. And for some of us in the room, this is forgiveness. All of us, it's forgiveness. And some of us in the room, this is a moment with you. Receive your forgiveness. Receive your salvation. Receive your eternity. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Why? Because of the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Jesus. You can take and drink. Praise you, Lord. Come on, just, just worship God. Just worship God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.